Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the What's Up Jay podcast. I'm your host, Jay, and thank you all so much for tuning in today. We have another special episode for you this week, and no, this one isn't special only because of who my guest is, although he is a fantastic human being and friend, but this marks the first episode of the What's Up Jay podcast with an in-person guest. That's right. I was able to speak to my guest today, Austin Crozier, face to face. Vaccines have been flowing, and we are slowly getting back to life as we knew it prior to the year 2020, at least here in upstate New York. But friends, you're in for a great conversation today. Austin is a professional journalist who currently writes for NYVIT Media. That would be N-Y-V-T Media, based in Granville, New York. We both were there together for a period of time, and we both graduated from Castleton University in Vermont. We talk about our shared time at Castleton, how it shaped us and prepared us for journalism outside of college. We talk about Austin's college football career. He tells the story of an injury he sustained back in 2018 and how it still impacts him to this day. And for all of you professional wrestling marks out there, stay tuned for your favorite segment, Gut Reaction, towards the end of the show, where Austin and myself talk a little bit about the expansive world of professional wrestling. But enough of me rambling on. Let's see what's up with Austin. But Austin, thank you for taking time out of your busy wall-to-wall, end-to-end schedule to uh, sit down with me, my first in-person guest on the What's Up Jay podcast. How you doing? I'm good, Jay. You know, it's an honor and a privilege, and I just want to uh, give a little jab at Max for being the first in-person one. Um, It was an awesome conversation that you two had, and I hope we can follow that up with some lively conversation like we used to do in the newsroom. Oh, I hope so, too. I hope so, too. First off, let's tell the people where we're at, Austin. Where are we right now? We are in Cambridge, New York at my apartment. Uh, I'm so happy you were able to make the hour drive from Queensbury over here. Um, It's about a 30 to 45 minute drive into work, uh, depending on if you run into a tractor or not um, uh, on the way up State Route 22. But uh, it's a nice secluded spot, farm country. Uh, We have sheep in the backyard. So uh, it's a it's a beautiful sight, and uh, I'm happy you can make it. Yeah, man, it was a it's it's a lovely drive. I'll say that. Um, I will say, I did hit a tractor on the way in. It uh it was like right before the house. Yeah. So I was like, I'm literally just like waiting three seconds to pull into this driveway here. Um, and we'll get into uh your career path and uh, what you do in a little bit. Um, but first, I know you have a relatively new relationship. Yes. How's that going? You know, tell me all about it. Tell me uh, how's uh, the relationship going. How uh, how you're both uh, feeling about it? Yeah. So I've been uh, I've been dating my girlfriend Abby uh, for uh, when this airs, it'll be uh, four months. Uh, this upcoming Monday. So uh, by the time this airs, we'll be four months in. And uh, you know, I, I've never smiled more as I have with her. And I, I posted that the other day on my social media, but I seriously mean it, Jay. I um, you know. I kept feeling like for the last couple months and maybe the last couple of years as well, like I've been missing a piece. Mm-hmm. And um, 
ever since I met Abby, everything's felt complete. And, uh, you know, we, we love spending our weekends together. Um, you know, she, we're doing long distance, which is, it's challenging, but we make it work. And, uh, the time that we get to uh, spend together, it's, it's worthwhile. And, you know, we really look forward to the time that we get, um, whether we go to Saratoga or whether, uh, like we did what, we did last week and we went to Manchester, Vermont for, uh, for some coffee and some lunch. Um, you know, she's an amazing girl. She's doing an amazing thing by, uh, working with, uh, foster children. And, uh, she makes me very happy and I couldn't be happier with how, uh, how our relationship is going. And I'm excited for the future. Well, Crozier, I've only known you for a short period of my life since we both went to Castlin university. Um, but I will say, I'm very happy to hear that you are very happy. Um, and I hope the relationship continues to thrive and continues to grow. And, uh, I only hope the best for you and, uh, and Abby, Abby. Yes. Okay. I'm really bad with names, but, (laughs) but we got to first try before we get into the questions and we're going to dive more deeply into this topic a little bit later on, but tell the people what it is exactly that you do. You are a full-time news reporter. Uh, you know, uh, take me through that. Tell the people where, uh, you cover, um, what you usually write about and, uh, just everything they would want to know ever. Yeah. So, uh, since September of 2020, I've been a reporter with the, uh, Granville Sentinel for the, uh, parent company, Nivet Media, formerly known as Manchester Newspapers, uh, recently made the, uh, the turn into Nivet Media, uh, New York, Vermont Media as Granville lies literally right on the border of New York and Vermont. You could drive two minutes from the office and you're in Vermont. Um, you know, I, I'm responsible for a lot of things. I wear a lot of different hats. Um, as you're aware of, I, um, I'm a reporter. I go out and cover meetings, uh, specific events, um, fires, police, uh, activity. Uh, we, I'm responsible for a weekly police block, uh, police beat, excuse me. Um, I'm responsible for designing the front page of the newspaper, which I never thought I was going to do. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of power in that, but it's also a lot of responsibility. Um, I'm in charge of editing a little bit. I'm in charge of social media uh, for the Granville Sentinel. I'm responsible for covering events in Granville, in Hartford, in Hampton, uh, and a little bit into Vermont as well. Um, news news is a uh, broad term in terms of what I cover. Um it could be, it could be, you know, like I said, a, a school board. It could be a town board. It could be a new business opening. It could be um, a conflict between two separate parties. Um, I've seen, I've seen a lot so far, but you know, it keeps me on my toes, and it's something new each week. It's not like it's uh, repetitive, um, and that's what I look forward to. I love things that um, I like to have a, a structure, but I like to be on my toes in the, ter- in the terms of being able to have something new to look forward to each week, uh, whether it's a new design to my paper or something that I'm not super familiar with. Like this, pe- this week, I was able to do a story on summertime gardening. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big garden gardening guy or I was gonna say, Crozier, you're the biggest gardener I know. I don't- <laughs> uh, tell that to my mother. I mean, um, but, but yeah, no, I, I got to learn about something that I never thought I was really gonna, you know, find an interest in, but I learned a lot about a topic that, you know, was outside of the box. And that's a cool thing about my job is that I get to 
go and meet people that I never would have um, if I wasn't in this role. And it, it's really eye opening and it, it's it's an honor. Well, I will say you and I did both work at Nivet Media when it was originally Manchester Newspapers. I was only there for a little while under the Nivet Media banner. But it's funny because you and I both went to Castlin University as well. We both wrote for the Castlin Spartan newspaper, but were primarily sports reporters. Um, my last year, um, I was the sports editor and you were one of the finest reporters on my sports staff, I will admit. Stop. Um, but in our senior year, it was around that time you and I kind of started thinking about expanding the portfolio a little bit, maybe, you know, dipping our toes into some um, regular news, I guess I'll say, because sports reporting is much different in my opinion. And I would imagine you would agree to general assignment reporting. Would you, would you make that same statement? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, I know you're going to ask this, but I'll, I'll jump a little ahead. I, when our professor Dave Blow uh, told me that, you know, you need to get a little bit outside of the box in your comfort zone, because all I did for my first three years in college was write sports. And I loved it. I covered hockey. I did uh, baseball, soccer, um, field hockey, you name it. And I had a blast with it. And I got to do some things with football as well. And um, football is my passion, but I, I love all sports. And then when Dave told me, you know, if you want to become a reporter, you need to have a wide variety of stories. It really had me thinking, oh boy, I, I need to expand this portfolio. Um, so having that, having the, the spring semester of my senior year to really be able to expand my horizon, expand what I know about reporting and, uh, get more into, I guess statistics and how certain news affects different people away from like feature stories um, that you and I are both very comfortable writing. We, we love talking about how a specific event affected someone or, uh, you know, a specific game or moment in time. It, it stands still. Um, that's stuff that we like um, talking about how news and how a, a specific action or event by our school, for example, um, how that can affect the whole entire school, the whole entire Castleton University. That was uncharted ground for me, but I was so grateful that I had the opportunity to do that because one of those stories that I got to cover was a big reason why I got my job now today. And I'm very grateful for Dave kind of throwing me out into the water and say, you know, swim. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into that story. Yeah. Um, I recall being in the uh, newspaper office, me, Kate and Brendan, you know, the editing staff and Dave Blow, the aforementioned, who we'll get into a little bit more in a second. But, you know, he says to us, uh, yeah, you know, Austin's going to be interviewing the president of the university. <laughs> so take me through, <laughs> as you just said, getting, you know, shoved into the deep end, having to learn to swim while you're in the water. Take me through what the story was, your mindset when you sit down and everything that, you know, followed that. Right. So, you know, for our listeners out there, uh, you, you have to remember this was right when COVID was hitting, uh, right, at, right in the beginning. Uh, I believe it was late March, early April when the story came out and uh, of 2020 uh, when COVID-19 was at its strongest. And I didn't have any sports to cover, um, but I was still responsible 
in in accordance with my coursework and uh, one of my curriculum classes I had to take with Dave that I had to produce two stories for each issue. And it didn't matter if it were sports stories or not. We just agreed it would be sports stories. But he told me, you know, you're still responsible for two stories. You need to come up with something. Um, So he gave me a little bit of leeway because it was my first real non-sports story that I got to cover. And he let me get away with one, but it was a, it was an in-depth story about how the Castleton University senior class of uh, 2020 missed out on having a formal graduation ceremony. And it was something that I took super personally because I was really looking forward to that after, you know, busting my butt along with my classmates um, for four years, um, trying to get to that point where you get to cross the stage and have that ripped away from us. Um, and Dave told me that I would need to speak to the president of the, uni- the university. And I, I've only had passing by conversations with uh, then president uh, Karen Scalfaro. It just, you know, hi, how you doing kind of thing. Yeah. Never like critiquing and analyzing decision-making and say, Hey, why are you doing this? This is affecting so many seniors and their families, it, you know, graduation's a day for not just the, the graduates, but for the families, because they experience that too. Mm-hmm. This is the culmination of, you know, so many years of hard work and dedication and uh, time away from family. Um, for that to be ripped away, it was very emotional and sentimental. So um, to be able to pick Car- uh, Karen Scalfuro's brain and talk to some seniors that, um, you know, I spent a lot of time with and uh, talked to professors as well to see how it was affecting them, to see kids that they they taught for four years have that opportunity ripped away from them. And, you know, they develop relationships and connections with these students. And it wasn't just affecting the students. It was affecting everybody on campus. Um, and that story, you know, it got a lot of traction. And I was so proud of how it turned out and um the feedback that we got from it, it, you know, people were talking about that story for weeks and, you know, we're dealing with COVID times and people are texting me, letting me know, Hey, that was an awesome job uh, on the story. And it was people I didn't even know, um, whether they're reaching out via social media or, um, you know, getting hold of me either way uh, through email or, or text. But it, it was a really, that piece made me appreciate, you know, what Dave was trying to tell me, you know, it, it wasn't tough love, even though it felt like it at the time, he just wants to see me reach my potential because he saw something in me and it it meant a lot that he wanted to see me, uh, shine and that he knew that there was something in me, uh, when we had, you know, three or four reporters that could easily gone and, and covered it as well. And for them to let them along with you to let me, you know, step outside my comfort zone and do it. It meant a lot to me for you guys to trust me and say, you know what, he's ready to do it. Um, and, you know, when I would apply for jobs following um, graduation, that was the first story that I would uh, plug in for a, a clip that, you know, that I can do this. You know, I would obviously plug in some of my feature stories and uh, some sports coverage to show that I can do this too. But that was the number one story that I always put was that, the seniors losing out on, you know, their last two months of school. And now to kind of dive into, uh, you know, the aforementioned Dave Blow, uh, you know, he was our advisor and our journalism professor. I wrote here, journalistic mentor. 
um, at Castlin University. For those who don't know who uh, you know Dave Blow is, and you're missing out, um, he was mine and Austin's professor and advisor. Like I just said, he was also a full time reporter for a long time, starting out at. The Granville Sentinel. Absolutely. Starting off where, uh, you know, I wrote for the Whitehall paper when I worked at uh, Manchester Newspapers, Nivet Media, um, but Crozier, you know, still man in Granville Sentinel to this day. Um, and Dave then took his talents to the Post Star, which is local newspaper that, you know, covers news in Glens Falls, Saratoga, Lake George area, while also covering the surrounding areas as well. But that's their, you know, main beat. Um, and Dave currently serves as a professor at Castlin University, where he also earned his, uh, you know, undergraduate degree. Um, and he also continues to write for the post-star on a freelance basis. Um, so what do you got to say about Dave Blow? Oh, my goodness. Oh. To say that Dave had a positive impact on not only myself, but you as well, would be an extreme understatement. Um, you know, I I love to tell the story of... Um, when I was a freshman in my fall semester at Castleton, I was in an intro to literature class with uh, Denny Schrammick. And Den Denny Schrammick is a very interesting person for um, uh, people that don't know him or the Castleton folks that aren't going to um, know who, uh, who or the non-Castleton folks. Um, one one day after class, Denny came to me and he said, hey, Austin, um, you know, what's your major? I said, oh, I'm a communication major he goes well what do you want to do with that like public relations um, social media specialized uh, specialization or do you want to do um, journalism I said journalism I, I I love sports journalism and he goes hmm do you write for the school paper I said no I don't I to be honest with you I didn't know we had one and he goes hmm come with me and he literally Jay took me by the hand and walked me downstairs of the basement of Leavenworth Hall and walked me right into Dave's office Dave was talking to someone and Denny didn't care. We just walked right in and Dave was there and he looked at me and um, he goes, can I help you? And I said, hi, yeah, you know, my name's Austin Crozier. Um, and Denny led the intro and just said, you know, this is Austin. He He's a communication major and he wants to get into journalism. And Dave goes, oh, he was just smiling from ear to ear. I don't know if he was having a bad day or what, but he was just smiling ear to ear to know that he had someone who was interested. And um Dave was always flexible with me because I played football and uh, he knew the the time constraints and the um, the workload that I had to manage with football and academic coursework and then added on with uh, writing for the Spartan. So he was always very flexible with me in understanding of, you know, when I couldn't be at things, uh, why something might be a little late in terms of his deadline or or things like that. But the amount of wisdom that man has uh, instilled in me uh, inside the classroom and outside of the classroom is unmatched. I, you know, I credit Dave for helping me get through my four years at Castleton and for certainly helping me uh, in putting a good word in for my name when I applied for uh, the Sentinel. And uh, I, I thank you for that as well, because you were already with the company. And I know you said some good thing, good words about me. And I greatly appreciate both of you doing that for me because you really didn't have to. But, um, you know, Dave's that kind of person that he would give the shirt off his back for someone in need. And that that taught me a lot, um, especially in those formative years of trying to um, balance everything and still understand that, like your morals your morals come out on top and what, what is true to you 
should always come out on top and come out. Um, and Dave is just such a, he was almost like a father figure. And I think you could say that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, like I, like I wrote there pretty much Dave taught me everything I know about writing in general, not just journalistic writing, because he taught us about press releases. He taught us about, you know, blog writing and like how to, you know, keep uh, an audience, um, you know, reading something for an extended period. And the news business as well. He taught us about that. Like, you know, news is news is a business and not a lot of people understand that. They just think of it as headlines. Um, you know, we learned about how things become uh, pu- published in the publication process. Uh, we learned techniques and styling of writing and how things can be different. Um, what individual roles people have to have. You know, I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't know that if it weren't for Dave, because he would he was our professor for that. Um and I'm so grateful to have learned from from him. Well, I just remember when I was first starting out um, for the Whitehall Times at Manchester Newspapers at the time. Um, and I just remember thinking during my walkthrough and during doing, uh, you know, the page design, how I've already done all of this already. Right. And it's all thanks to Dave. It's all thanks to working for the Spartan um, and just getting my feet wet there before going out into the real yeah. world doing, yeah, more work obviously because it's you're getting paid to do it but you know already having that basic knowledge of like how to interview someone properly what not to say what hard questions you have to ask you know at least have your bearings around adobe and design for the page layout Mm -hmm. it's funny you bring up the page layout because i remember my first day with the sentinel i i was counting my blessings that dave made me go to those sunday morning sessions uh at leavenworth to design the paper and he forced me to go uh so i could learn it and i wasn't an editor you know, I, I I was just a sports reporter and I thought that's all I was responsible for. But he knew that there was he knew how valuable that skill is because uh, working with the Adobe products is uh, such a valuable skill to have. And um, uh, for him to, you know, see that I could do it and see that potential in me when I knew when I didn't see it, it means a lot. And um you know, like I said, that first day of designing my paper, I was like, oh, my goodness, I've, I've done some of this before. I've got I had a rough idea. I had to fine tune some things, of course. But I mean, it was like, oh, those Sunday sessions came in handy. Like, you know, those 9 a.m., you know, when you'd rather be sleeping in and uh, catching up, um, catching up on sleep and relaxing. Those 9 a.m. sessions really helped. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Dave sometimes brought us breakfast. It was nice of him, you know, sometimes brought us some OJ um and we the donuts and we appreciate you for it dave i hope you're listening uh because you really are integral part and integral part of uh what i'm doing right here and what austin continues to do on a daily basis and i i'm sure i could speak for both of us and everyone else who's ever worked for the spartan whether they're in media or not by just saying thank you for all that you've ever done and all that you continue to do for that you know department in that program Absolutely. Uh, He's undervalued. Absolutely. And speaking of Dave, you know, every year he would take a certain number of, uh, you know, Castle and Spartan reporters, you know, the editing staff, if they were able to go to the annual College Media Association's Journalism Conference. You and I, did you go to one before that first one where I went? No, that was our first together. All right. So that was both of our first years. Um, That was 2019. 
right? Would have been spring of 2019? Yes. Because the following year, 2020, it was the day before we were going to go, mm-hmm. we got the uh, the no-go from uh, the college. Yeah. Um, obviously disappointed, you know, by that we get into that, but um, we were still recognized at, you know, that event um, by earning a second place award for the best newspaper for a four-year school with less than 5,000 students enrolled. Uh, you know, it taught me about what that meant to you at the time, um, you know, hearing about that during the pandemic. Right. And then what you think of, of it now looking, you know, back as you write for the Sentinel and kind of thinking back on, you know, those times writing in your last year there at, uh, you know, Castleton. Yeah. Um, speaking about the event specifically, you know, when we got the word that we weren't going, I was in the middle of packing my bag. Uh, and getting ready, you know, getting ready to go to bed early because I knew it was going to be a long morning getting down to the city. And I was so excited. It was all I was looking forward to because football just ended and I was looking forward to something positive. And I knew in the back of my head that COVID was going on and things were getting worse and the city was starting to um, increase its restrictions. And then, you know, we got the rug pulled out under us and we're told, you know, even though the event's still happening, you're not going. And it was frustrating. It, it was very disappointing um, because shortly shortly after that, we got the word that all of our classes would be uh, virtual from, from that point on until uh, the end of the semester. And it was just uh, it was just one bad news after another. And then when we got that email from Dave saying, you know, hey, guys, I, I finally have some good news to say that we were awarded second place for all of the schools that applied, you know, applied to go to the the conference uh, and participated in, in that process uh, to be awarded with second place for a small school was such an honor. And, um, you know, it, it was really a testament to the amount of hard work that everybody put in, not just me, because, you know, I. I, w- I was still kind of doing just sports at that point. I was starting to get more exposure to to real new stuff and features, but it, it was a testament to the editing team, the um, the editorial team, or the people actually doing the writing. Um, you know, our, our web design as well. Um, everybody involved was so talented, and it was awesome to pick everyone's brain in a little bit in a little way. Being able to apply that towards the last two months of uh, college in, in my senior year, and be able to fine tune all the skills that I learned for uh, four years, and be able to come out with some good content uh, talking about why uh, athletes and just everyday students were suffering because of uh, the pandemic and missing the opportunity uh, to graduate and uh, across and graduate and um, celebrate commencement, I should say. Uh, with their families, with their friends, missing out on those last two months, and talk about that a little bit. Um, it was uh, it was an honor to be able to do that, and it, you know, that's one of it, I, I guess that would be one of my regrets from college is that I didn't get to go for that second year because I know guys like like Max Max Temple, he was so looking forward to that. He never could go because he was always wrestling, and um, he was a heck of a wrestler, and uh, he would always be you know, going to the nationals. Um, it's a little shout out to Max, but, um, you know, it, he finally had that opportunity to go and it was ripped away from him. And I know how much that meant to him. And I know how much it meant to Dave. Dave 
that was that was Dave's baby, getting to go down and take people down and you know we're school in Castleton, Vermont, you know. Some people may have never been to the city before. They're used to the farm life. They're used to, um, you know, rural life. And to be able to go into New York City where the most news happens, it's it's the mecca. You know, Um, I know we were planning on going to see a basketball game at Madison Square Garden. I was looking forward to that. But, you know, you look at the positives and the positive of being awarded for our work. um, That really stands out to me. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And obviously, especially after already being there once. Right. And like when I went that first year, I don't know, because we weren't super close. I wasn't that close with anybody. Oh, yeah. Really at the time. Um, And I like grew close to everybody, you know, everyone on the staff that went. Um, And a good number of those people were coming back. You, me, Max, Brendan, Caton. We were all going going back and I was like, I'm super excited for this. Like we already we know the process. We went here last year. We weren't able to go to games last year, I don't think. Or the year prior. I don't the know if there was yeah, a no, game. there was none going on. It was the week after. So we were gonna go to a game, we were gonna do the same, you know, go out to that Italian restaurant, I think in Queens. Yeah. Um and just enjoy, especially for us, we we were all seniors graduating. Brendo had one more semester to finish out, but you know, that was it. And that did get ripped away from us. And that was definitely uh, on top of everything else that was going on. It was just like, oh, yeah. you know, really? It like, just felt like another thing to pile on top. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> and uh, to go back to Max, too, he wasn't able to go to the Nationals, not because he didn't make it, right. because it wasn't happening because of the pandemic. So he was like, all right, we're going to New York City, you know, uh, I'll, you know, take the positives where I can get them. And then we're not going. <laughs> and it's just I. I will say I know that there were there was at least one positive case that came from the conference, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, so, you know, thankful for our health and everything. Absolutely. And, and that that lo- over looming thought of, you know, what if yeah. that always creeps into my head? Like, what if we did go and we brought it back to Castleton? Exactly. Because, you know, before we graduated, there were no uh, positive cases uh, until the fall semester mm. in, in, on on the campus. And, you know. That was the one thing that I kept thinking about was, oh, man, what if we're responsible for this if if we bring it back? And, you know, during that weekend, that's when New York City started to those numbers started to increase for positive confirmed cases. And it's just it it was a blessing in disguise that we didn't go. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, But to step back into the time machine and go to the present day here, um, you know, where you're working now, where I formerly you know, called my employer, Nivet Media, based in Granville. We both, you know, got the job there post-graduation. I know I was working there. I started in July. You said your first day was in September. Yeah. So only a, a day few after months Labor apart. Day, yeah. So you're, you know, going to be, you know, coming up on a year working in the professional journalism, uh, you know, pathway. Um, it's crazy to think about. It's incredible. Um, <laughs> it's so strange. Um, but take me through the experience. You know, this is your first job post-college. Yeah. Um, you are, you know, covering general news for a specific, you know, area, which you were doing mostly sports that we already, you know, went over. Was that a jarring experience? Um, and kind of what, you know, did you do? And what, you know, tips did you learn from Dave? Did you apply to kind of? Oh, I, absolutely. For that last part, Uh you know, I, I really felt in my first month of working with the Sentinel is uh, the major takeaway was soak in everything from Dave that you learned in four years and apply that now. Uh, 
And, you know, thinking about that and someone that experienced that for two years, that's overwhelming. You know, what you learned in two years to apply that in one month, you know, Um, but it it was the process of getting my job was a little frustrating because, um, you know, we graduated in May and I worked at a seasonal uh, seafood place in East Greenbush, New York called Jean's Fish Fry, uh, where I was a supervisor there and, uh, you know, responsible for anything and everything, delivering food, making food, uh, taking orders, stuff like that. Um, And like I said, they're a seasonal business and their last day was the Friday before Labor Day. And we're getting into late August and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I've been applying like crazy. I applied for over 70 jobs and I heard back from five or from four at that point. And you had a, you had applied to jobs out of state all, all, oh, yeah. all over the place. All, all across the country, um, Florida, uh, Wyoming. I had an interview for a job in Wyoming and uh, I, I didn't get it, but um, Wyoming, California, Texas, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, uh, you name it, I applied and I, I was applying for sports reporting. I was applying for regular reporting. I was uh, doing uh, crime, uh, crime specialized reporting and just like anything and everything, really, Jay. Um, I was just trying to put my name out there and see, you know, will someone bite? And you have those those uh, doubts start to creep in your mind like, oh, man, am I not good enough for this? Like, did I not do enough regular news reporting? Did I do too much sports reporting? You know, is my is my level of writing not good enough for these places? And then I got a phone call or or a text message from Dave, and uh, he said, "Hey, have you thought about working in Granville?" And I was like, "Granville," and I'm like, "The only thing I know about Granville is I drive through there to get to Castleton." And I'm like, "I mean, I would consider it, yeah." And I'm like, "Is there an opening?" He said, "Yes, there is. Um, Jay's there now." And he's like, I think you two would do well working together again. And I said, that sounds that sounds fun. So I put my name in the hat. And luckily, I knew someone, uh, a family friend from Granville that knew the editor uh, who was there right before I left, whose name was Matt Sari. And um, I used her as a reference. And, you know, within a couple of days, I got a call back saying, hey, we'd like like for you to come in for an interview. I was able to do two interviews. And um, I ended up getting the job and, you know, when they said everything that I was going to be responsible for, I was a little taken back, um, you know, because I all I've known is reporting. So to be be in charge of social media and editing and design, you know, on top of reporting, it was a lot. It was a lot to deal with in that first month. But once you get your feet wet and once you get adjusted to everything and you develop that structure and you develop a system of, okay, I'm going to do this on this day, this on the next day, I'm going to set up these interviews for uh, this day, and then I'll rest on this day and then we'll do it all over again or adjust on the fly as I need to. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as everyone knows with news, you never know when it's going to strike. Um, I've had some awesome opportunities uh, to cover some crazy stuff, some not so crazy stuff uh, and everything in between. Um, and uh, it's 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 been a heck of a ride so far, and I can't wait to see uh, what's next, really. Well, I can't wait to continue to read what you write and read the stuff that you cover. Um, you know, you've been working there for almost a year at this point, um, as we've already 
you know, talked about, but what made you want to pursue a career in journalism? Yeah. You know, uh, was there anything that you experienced in your life that gave you the itch to be a writer? Was it just, was it sports? Cause like you said, you were doing like the sports reporting for so long. Was that kind of what led you into that, you yeah. know, direction? Um, you know, as a kid, uh, my favorite thing to do was watch sports center in the morning before, uh, before going to school with my brother, before we got into the bus or our grandmother would bring us to school. Um, we would watch sports center together and I, eyes were glued to the TV and my favorite person to watch in the morning was Stuart Scott. Um, and the way he presented himself and the way he talked with such confidence and prose, it, it was captivating and it was addicting. And I was like, you know, I can't wait to watch the next morning to watch sports center again, to see the top 10 plays and to see them talk about what, what's trending now. Um, that was the, that was the point where I was like, okay. I know what I want to do. I want to do this in some kind of fashion. And then continuing to play sports, it it kept uh, it kept evolving and going, okay, I could see myself covering basketball. I could see myself covering football, baseball, uh, hockey, soccer. I could do this. And then going to Castleton and covering those things and hearing other people talk about the things that they're covering, non you know, non-sports related. I was like, oh, that's interesting too. And it started to, um, you know, it started to really expand my, my thoughts on things like, oh, maybe I could do something outside of sports. And then kind of being thrown into it, starting with um, the Sentinel and having to cover things non-sports, I've really developed this, you know, this niche and like the, this liking for things that don't have anything to do with sports. I My favorite thing to do, Jay and... I, I think you can attest to this is that when I write a story, I want at least one person to be affected by what I'm writing, whether it's positively, whether it's negatively, whether it's in between, I want someone to read something that I produce, read or look at or view, whether it's a video or a story or whatever it may be. I want them to go, wow, that affects me in some kind of way that, you know, that makes me want to go to this charity dinner and donate money. Um, that makes me want to go to the next town board meeting and talk about what's bothering me because I don't, I don't like the way that this was done. You know, inspiring people in that way is one of the most gratifying feelings in the world. And having, you know, thousands of people read my material is one of those humbling things. Like, it's like, wow, I'm just a kid from Avril Park, you know, like I, a kid from wine and skill, um, just outside of Troy, New York, you know, I didn't grow up with much. Uh, so to have an audience that big already, it's really cool. And, uh, to be able to reach that many people, it's, uh, it's an honor. I have so much fun doing this. I mean, you have the ups, you have the downs, but at the end of the day, it's worth it. Last question about journalism here before we go into your, uh, football career and everything that goes with that. Um, <laughs> we'll get into it. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Give me a high point and a low point in your journalism career. And I kind of asked a similar question to Max. Um, when yeah. you have like a high point or, you know, like a story is getting like a ton of traction, um, what do you do or what do you kind of say to yourself to keep yourself, you know, balanced and centered and being like, you know, like it's all in a day's work. This, right. is, this is why I do this. And then, you know, take me through a low point as well. And then, you know, take me through what you did to get out of that low point, you know, stay you know, positive and, you know, keep grinding. Right. 
I think I'll start with the low point first, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, the low point, I'd say, was uh, in one of my first weeks of working, to be honest with you. I mean, I was green. I was still getting the hang of things. And one of the first stories that I wanted to do was talk to local business owners and uh, restaurant owners, to be uh, exact, in business owners on Main Street in Granville uh, that were female. Um, women owning businesses and them doing so well in the village of Granville. I thought that was a, that was going to be a really good story and it would bring a lot of light to um, some issues that are going on at a higher level in society. So I had this idea of doing it and I reached out to as many as I could in a short period of time uh, because, you know, with me starting on a Tuesday, I pitched that story on a Wednesday and I reached out to as many people as I could to interview them on a Thursday or a Friday and you know, I had one of the people that I interviewed uh, get mad because I didn't have the chance to interview more than four people, uh, f more than four women that were positive, you know, influencers in Granville. And uh, she she questioned my my credibility and she questioned my skills as a writer um, and, and the way that I go about things. And that hurt. Um, it, it was one of those things that. Um, it really makes you question, you know, am I in this for the right thing? Do I really want to deal with this? But at the same time, you have to understand that not everybody understands what goes into it. Right. Um, you know, they're not in my shoes and you have to understand that and keep a level head. And, you know, you have a peaceful conversation with them. You, you explain where you're coming from, what you're trying to accomplish, and hopefully they'll understand as well. And they did. And, you know, there's no bad blood out of it. And it was one of those things where it's like, you know what, life goes on. You know, sometimes you can't, you know, you can't control everything. You know, you can only control what you can control. And um, it, it was one of those things where I was still happy with the end product of being able to talk to four uh, positive role models in, in the community that I cover. In terms of a high point, I would say... One of those most recently was uh, covering the revitalization of, a, of an old schoolhouse in Granville, uh, in the town of Granville. It's actually in this little hamlet called Slyborough. There's an apple orchard called Hicks Orchard in, in Granville that's very popular. A lot of people go there for apple picking and uh, go get cider donuts, which are absolutely delicious, I'll say, um, and some uh, apple cider as well. But um, the business development manager that I've been dealing with uh, for news that happens out of there. And, uh, you know, I did a story when I first started about Hicks Orchard and their impact in the community and how they're uh, the oldest you uh, pick apple orchard in New York state. And I thought that was awesome. So I was like, you know, I want to do a story about this during apple orchard season. So he reached out to me and said, Hey, I, ha I have an idea for a story. And, you know, this was one of the few times that I didn't come up with, you know, my own story. He, he brought it to me and he goes, I I'd like for you to cover it and for him to trust me and to be able to talk to an individual who went to this old schoolhouse in uh, 1946 to 1950. Wow. And then after the school was shut down, it became a meeting center for Alcoholics Anonymous when the current owner of Hicks Orchard, his father owned it before him. He was the one that started the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings there. I got to meet one of the students who was going and, and learning about that and trying to do the, tw the 12 and 12, the, uh, the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. And to be able to pick his brain and talk about what that building meant to him. And now that it's deteriorated, you know, 
there's talks of wanting to rebuild it back into an AA meeting center, build it into a place where, you know, inner city kids can come up to Granville, experience farm life and, you know, see where kids up here went to school back in the 1930s and 40s and right into 1950. It was such an awesome experience to see that and how the community came together and donated like over $5,000 for this already within like three months, I think. Um, and to be able to be the one to cover that and talk to people about their experiences, just, it was awesome. Um, you know, you have people from all over, not even from Granville donating to this and you know, the way they found out was through my story. And that's so humbling. It's like, wow. It's like, I have that impact on people that I can write a story and someone from another state or another County or, um, you know, across the country could feel inspired to go, you know what, that's awesome. I want to, I want to contribute to that. And that goes back to my point of wanting to impact people. I mean, that's, that's why you do it. It's like, it's what, it's like the reason why you get into, I think journalism is to write stories that impact people, which is why you hit the nail right on the head with that. And I was going to bring it back full circle if you didn't about how that's literally what you said, like why you want to do this. It, It was the, you know, and I said, I said this to the people I talked to, you know, this is why I do it. This is, you know, this is the stuff that I love writing about things that have a lasting impact because, you know, you're never going to get this group of people together again. Um, you know, someone who's 81 years old meeting with 14, 15, 16 year old kids who are going to come up from the city and go and restore that building with the business development manager. They're going to come up and paint the building and the 81 year old lady who was a student there is going to help them paint. Like you can't, you can't make that stuff up. Like you're not going to be, you're not going to be able to cover that ever again. And it's like the fact that I was able to do that, it means so much. And it was at the same time, it's one of those, you know, it's just another day in the job, like you said. Um, And you have to, you have to move on to the next thing. But it's one of those things that you keep, you keep close to your chest. Like, you know, I did that. That's really cool. feather in the cap sort of thing like yeah. you're like i know i did that that was awesome i'm ready for the next one absolutely you know? um couldn't say it any better now to segue back into college life here we'll go back into your football career oh yeah before we get into your football playing career like what you did at cu give me the origin story of crozier as a football player yeah wow I, you know, not a lot of people know this, but I played football from when I was four years old until my senior year of college. Um, for 17 years, I, pl- I played football and, uh, you know, it was such a integral part of my life. You know, it taught me a lot. It, it really enhanced the bond between my father and I. Um, you know, he was my first coach and he came to almost every single game that I played from, you know, flag football and pop Warner to modified to junior varsity and varsity. And then into college when I was playing division three, he taught me so many things and for him to kind of live vicariously through me one more time and to see how passionate I was, you know, he, he always used to say that I was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde on the football field. Like, you know, before I, put the helmet on. I'm just, I'm just Austin, you know, I'm just a nice kid that, you know, wants to help people and, you know, be there for them when they need it. But as soon as I put the helmet on, it's like, 
he didn't he didn't know who I was anymore. It's like it's just someone that wants to win, someone who someone who's dedicated to the game. They they love they have a passion and love for the game and the grind that goes into football. Uh, not a lot of people talk about that, like how much how time consuming it is and um, the little things of technique and wanting wanting to be better than you were yesterday. That one percent every single day of improvement, which I try to take into everyday life now try to be 1% better in some aspect of my life than I was yesterday. So yeah, I, I started when I was four um, and I played two years of junior varsity in high school and then uh, two years of varsity as an offensive tackle and a defensive end. Um, and then at the end of my senior year, um, you know, we didn't have the best football team in the world at Averill Park, um, but, you know, the memories I made, it, it was amazing. And we had one final game against uh, Albany high school and uh, we lost, we lost on the road. And, um, you know, I remember just being very emotional with my dad. Cause I thought that was it. I thought that was the end of the ride. And I'm like, you know, now it's time to focus on other things and see, you know, what I'm really passionate about outside of football. And I really didn't know what that was because mm-hmm. that's all I really knew was football. And, you know, we're walking off the field with my dad and there were people from the Albany stands coming up to me and clapping for me. People that I never met before slapping me on the shoulder, like, you know, shaking my hand and telling me I did a good job. And they saw my effort on the field. It was one of those things I was like, whoa, like if these if these fans and these these parents of other kids are noticing my work ethic, I wonder if other coaches are. You never know. You never know who's watching. So we got into the spring of my senior year and it came time where um, some college coaches were recruiting and I was recruited by a, di- a couple different division three schools. And um, I decided to choose Castleton because it, it felt like home. Um, it felt like home on campus. And I had a really good feeling about the football program that it was heading in the right direction. Um, my recruiting coach was Kevin Dragonis, who is now with uh, Union College. He's the offensive coordinator there. He was the offensive coordinator with Castleton. And um, he picked up on my passion for football really quickly, and he thought that it would be a good fit. I was recruited as an offensive tackle. Um, so I played offensive tackle my freshman year of college. And then when we got into spring ball of my uh, go, as we were spring ball of freshman year, Heading into sophomore year, because we play in the fall, um, the very first day of practice, I was walking from Leavenworth back to my dorm um, to get ready for for practice and to rest up a little bit. And Coach Dragonis was walking the opposite direction of me. And he goes, hey, Austin, you got a second? I said, yeah, sure. So he stopped me. He goes, I want you to take snaps tonight, like play center. And I'm like, center? And we had we had a... Um, we had two graduating offensive tackles. So I was thinking, wow, I've got an awesome opportunity to start at left tackle or right tackle this year. You know, this is going to be awesome. And then he goes, I want you to take snaps. And I was like, okay, that's just the attitude I've always had. If someone asks you to do something, you do it and you do it to the best of your ability. So that first night I took snaps and, you know, it took me a little bit to uh, get adjusted, but it was one of those things where it's like, wow, like, I can do this. So then you start to work on the footwork and then you work on hand placement and you work on body posture and uh, memorizing the plays. And next thing you know, the fall comes and I'm starting at center as a sophomore. And that was, 
that was a whirlwind experience in itself, being able to play football again after one year of sitting on the bench and, you know, understanding how college football works. And like that first snap, you got the, you got the butterflies in your stomach and your heart's racing a mile a minute. And, uh, you know, you make that contact for the first time and then everything's just, it's just peaceful again. It's like, wow, this is why I love the game. And you get back into playing again and, you know, you go on the road to all different places, um, you know, Bangor, Maine, which is like literally like super, super northeast, like right on the coast of Maine. All like, you know, you, like you never thought you'd go up and play in the corner of Maine, like close to Canada. And it's like, oh, that's cool. Right. Um, you know, my freshman year, I got to travel for my 18th birthday to Gallaudet University, which is a school for uh, the hearing impaired. Um, for their homecoming i've never heard a homecoming game be so silent you know because they can't they can't hear the sound so the way they they the way they cheer is they wave their hands because they they can't hear voices or anything the players go off of uh, the beat of a vibration of a drum um and that's how they hear the whistle that they bang the drum and they stop and it was uh you know it was it was a cool experience like that like i wouldn't have that if i didn't play a castleton um, I got to travel through Massachusetts and New Hampshire and, um, you know, play rivalry games like uh, Norwich and have a homecoming game on our home field under the lights. I never thought I was going to play under the lights again after uh, Friday night lights for football in high school. I got to do that in Castleton and um, junior year, obviously, as we're going to talk about things were very unexpected the way they happened. And then senior year was uh, the attempt to bounce back. Well, let's dive into that because I know that was, uh, you know, fall 2018, you know, as you just said, you've had all these experiences, you know, that you wouldn't have had at Castleton. Um, you know, take me into what the injury was, what happened, how it still impacts your day-to-day life to this day. You know, I know it was a very serious injury and, you know, I would love to uh, hear the whole story and you know, yeah. where you're at. Give me like an update. Okay. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't know, um, heading into the, uh, the season of my junior year, we, we always have a fall camp and in my junior year, they decided that we were going to do a scrimmage with another school. They were going to bring, um, uh, St. Lawrence university up near Canton, New York, uh, Northern New York, uh, they were going to bring them over to Castleton and we were going to do a one-on-one scrimmage with them. And all of the players were so hyped up about it. Like, Oh wow. We get to hit someone other than, you know, our own teammates. We get to see a different color Jersey and hit that. Uh, that's cool. It, it was a, it was a nice test before we had our green and white scrimmage, which is kind of like the, okay, now we know where the death chart is. We know who's, who's going to play and who, you know, who's going to be a role player. And now we're ready for the regular season. This St. Lawrence scrimmage was an opportunity for us to go, oh, this is football again. We're hitting, you know, we're hitting uh, other people that, you know, you don't want to hurt your teammates. Uh, So we had the scrimmage with St. Lawrence and um, we were doing this thing called one-on-one drills for offensive line and defensive line. And as a center, what I do is I snap the ball and uh, you know, the defensive line will come and rush and they'll try and uh, sack the quarterback. And it's my job as a center to protect the quarterback. So I went up against a nose guard and I was blocking him and um, I won the drill. And um, 
I was already driving the defensive lineman already into the ground. And you have to imagine my hands are on his chest as it is, and I'm driving him down. And he got mad that I was beating him in the drill and that he was he was going to be pancaked, if if you want to term it like that. He grabbed me by around where my collarbone is on the on the shoulder pads, and he pulled me on top of him. And because my hands were already on his uh, shoulder pads in the middle, I couldn't protect my fall. Um, so I ended up spiking headfirst into the ground um, onto the top of my head and I compact, I, I compacted my head into the ground in a unique fashion where my head was a little bit to the right too. And all I heard was this crunch, this crunch and, and snapping sound. And immediately I just had this sharp pain go from, uh, the base of my neck where it connects where your shoulders are all the way down my spine, down to my butt. Um, that's the best way to put it right down into my tailbone. It was just a sharp shooting pain. And I've had stingers before, and I, I knew like that a little bit of numbness and tingling before, but nothing like this. The sharp pain was was so unreal, and I was like, whoa, that's weird. Um, I blacked out because I, I went head first. I thought I concussed myself, but I didn't. I just blacked out because I hit so hard into the ground, and I stood up, and um, you know, I started to shake things out, and I, I went to grab my right arm because my right arm was completely lifeless like there, there was no feeling at all it was just numbness and tingling and it felt like dead weight and I was like hmm that's weird that's never happened before like my whole entire arm I felt it like going to my shoulder before but never like my whole arm I'm like hmm that's weird so I decided you know what? let's be smart about this let's step off step off to the side and let them continue to do their drill so I hop off to the side I'm holding my arm and luckily one of my um Housemates at the time was an athletic trainer. Uh, and her name's Bethany. Uh, Bethany, um, I hope you're listening. Uh, I, she, this day was as traumatic for her as it was for me. But, um, you know, she saw me carrying my arm and she's like, did you break your arm? And I said, no, it's my neck. And she goes, oh, okay. Um, why don't you just lay down on the ground? I'll go get Ed, uh, Ed Wozniakiewicz, who's the head athletic trainer for the football team at Castleton. Ed comes running over because he sees me laying down on the ground. And Ed and I, we became friends over, you know, my first two years at Castleton. And he goes, hey, hey, bud, what's going on? And I said, well, it's my neck. I, you know, I can't feel my arm. And as soon as I laid down on the ground, I lost all feeling in both arms and both legs. I was paralyzed. And it was just that sharp shooting pain down my spine and just numbness and tingling in my legs and my arms and I felt lifeless and I was just looking straight up and it was a 95 degree day in Castleton on the turf field. And I have all the football stuff on. I was sweating as I was before cause I was playing, but man, that sun, that sun was beating down on me, Jay. Um, Ed starts to do some tests on me and he, he asked me to wiggle my fingers and wiggle my toes. And I, I thought I was moving like, like, you know, like Spider-Man with like super quick movements, right? No, I was barely moving my fingers and my toes. And I thought I was moving fast, but I wasn't. I had a little bit of movement, but it wasn't good. It was clearly restricted. And he asked me what it felt like. And I said, it, it feels like someone's got resistance bands on me. And if you don't know what resistance bands are, they're, they're workout bands that you use to, to stop the quick movement and work on power uh, so you can explode better. Um, it felt like someone wrapped about 20 of those around my arms and my legs and were preventing me from moving upwards. 
And as soon as I said that, he goes, that's not good. Um, this is completely your choice, but I think you should go to the hospital. I said, okay. So they had an ambulance come and they loaded me up on the football field. Um, they stopped, stopped the scrimmage and, uh, they had the ambulance come right into the middle of the 50 yard line. And, uh, they put me on a stretcher and, uh, they loaded me off the whole entire, uh, both teams were clapping for me. I, I remember that. And I remember just having tears in my eyes and, um, trying to put up a thumbs up like I was going to be okay, but it didn't look too good because I couldn't feel my arms. But uh, my dad and my little sister, um, you know, they came to watch me play and all they saw was me being treated by medical professionals. And that's one of those things that really scarred me was having my little sister see me get loaded onto the back of a ambulance. Um, that's something that really rubs me the wrong way that she had to see that, uh, to see me lifeless and to see me, you know, not be like the life of the party. Like so many people know me to be like someone that's going to be positive to see me actually concerned about my well being, And I could feel that among my teammates who were watching, they, they saw me there and, you know, I could see, I could see out of the corners of my eyes, the ones that were coming up to me to grab my hands to let me know that they were there with me. They were crying in the middle of the scrimmage, they were crying and they were, they were concerned. You know, they, they tried to give me meds in the ambulance on the way to Rutland. They brought me to Rutland regional medical center in Vermont. And, uh, I was in shock at that point. And like my body just was not taking an IV. Uh, they tried like three separate times to pick an IV. And I don't know if the, the nurse or the paramedic who was on in the back of the ambulance wasn't comfortable with doing it or what, but, uh, they kept missing the vein and I could feel it. And it just like this sharp needle going into me. And I'm like, can you please just do your job? <laughs> um, you know, I'm freaking out cause I, I don't know what's going on. I finally get to the hospital. I meet a doctor and they, they loaded me onto a bed and they started cutting all of my stuff, uh, you know, on the football field, they sawed off my helmet. They cut off my Jersey. They, um, they cut, they took off my cleats for me cause I couldn't, take off my cleats. Um, when I got to the hospital, they cut off my pants. They cut off, um, my, my, my girdle, uh, that held my, my lower pads for my thigh pads, my hip pads, stuff like that. And next thing I know, I'm just, you know, in my underwear in the hospital shirtless. Cause I wasn't wearing a shirt. It was a 95 degree day. And, uh, they did some tests and I, I was kind of just oblivious to everything going on because I was like, why am I here right now? I'm like, I should be, I should be playing football. Like what's going on? Like this is ridiculous. And the doctor kind of just stops my thinking by straight up going, Austin, um, I think you broke your neck. And the only thing I could think of to say is what? And he goes, yeah, I, I think you broke your neck. We're going to do an x-ray right now. So, okay. So they brought me into room while they got the x-ray machine ready. And that's when my dad and sister got there. And at that point I'm losing it. I'm, you know, crying like a, crying like a baby. And my dad comes in and he goes, you know, what's going on? And I said, I think I broke my neck. And he goes, he told you, you broke your neck. I'm like, yeah. And the, the, my dad runs out of the hallway, grabs the doctor and he goes, you told him he broke his neck without doing any tests. And, uh, the doctor goes, well, we're going to do an x-ray right now. He's like, I just believe that he's like, I just believe that he broke his neck. And 
my dad's like, oh, okay. And he calmed down after understanding the situation, but um, went in for an x-ray. X-ray came back fine. Then they go, well, we got to do an MRI to see if, um, if, if you tore anything in your neck. Cause they, I told them I, I heard the popping in my neck and I didn't know if that was bone or if it was muscles popping or whatever it could be. Um, and I still had that sharp pain in my spine. So they brought me in and they, you know, that part took forever. That that's what I remember from Rutland is just like that part took so long to get the results for that. And I'm just waiting and waiting. And they kept giving me uh, morphine at Rutland. They gave me three dosages of morphine. Uh, the first one did absolutely nothing. The second one, I started to get feeling back in my hands, but not in my legs. And then the third one, I got full feeling back in both arms and both legs. I was able to move them, but like really slowly because everything still hurt my neck. Um, and I was starting to lose the pain in my back, but my back was just so stiff from everything because I was laying for so long. And um, finally come back with the results of the MRI and they go, we don't know what's going on because the swelling is so bad. We need to send you somewhere with, with better equipment. Um, do you want to go to the University of Vermont in Burlington? I said, can we go somewhere like closer to here? And he goes, what, like Albany Med? I said, yes, Albany Med, because Albany Med is 20 minutes from my house back right. home, uh, just outside of Troy, New York. And he goes, hold on, let me check comes back comes back into the room and goes yeah we have an ambulance coming in 30 minutes for you i said awesome so quickly you know i had so many teammates i had my two housemates come by bring me a spare thing of clothes my charger uh, they got my car back from from the campus to my apartment um you know so many teammates and coaches came by and my head athletic trainer he spent over eight hours with me in the hospital. He didn't have to do that. And he did. Um, there were freshmen on the team that found a way to get to the hospital to come and see me because, you know, in a, a week and two days, I was able to have an impact on them to make them go, you know, I need to be there for him. Um, it's things like that, that really stuck out to me. And like some of my best friends from Castleton came and, you know, they were crying with me, holding my hand, you know, I've got a neck brace on, so all I can see is straight up. So they'd have to stand like directly right, right over the top of me so they could see me and look me in the eyes. And like some people didn't want to do that because they saw how scared I was. Uh, I've never been that scared before, Jay. Um, they brought me to Albany Med. I, we left there at um, 1030 at night at Rutland. We got to Albany Med at midnight on the dot. And when we got to Albany... They told them that I needed to go to see uh, the neurosurgeons, uh, go to that department to go see neurosurgery. They brought me to the emergency room. I don't know if there was miscommunication or what, but we went to an emergency room at Albany Med at midnight. For those of you that haven't been to Albany Med's emergency room at midnight, don't. <laughs> um, that's, that's the best advice I can give you. Um, there were old old women complaining about their eyes being ripped out there were kids running around doing laps around the nurse's table it was it was a nightmare um i went six hours without seeing a doctor it was 6 a.m i haven't eaten anything they didn't allow me to drink anything because i thought i needed surgery i i was just i was starting to get really annoyed and next thing i know they they came by with some specialists and they did a quick test and by that point i was able to get some strength back in my arms and my legs 
and I passed their strength test. I don't know how, but I did. And they said, okay, we're going to discharge you. And I asked them, um, well, what's wrong with me? Because they did a separate MRI and they're like, well, the MRI, we can't read it because the swelling was so bad. It was the same thing as the Rutland. And I was like, oh my goodness, what, what am I going to do? And I'm like, can I play football? That's the one thought that was going through my head the whole entire time. Can I play football still? And they're like, well, you're out for the next two weeks at least. You know, we have to do a follow-up with Dr. Cheney, who was the head of neurosurgery for uh, for Albany Med. And when they said his name, I was like, oh, that name sounds familiar. And I knew he's like a head honcho with Albany Med. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is serious. So I was out for two weeks and they told me I couldn't take the neck brace off unless like I had to shower or like if I couldn't sleep, I could take it off just so I could sleep. But I had to put it back on when I was eating, when I was driving, when I was in class because classes were going to start the next week. I, I know that was your first experience of seeing me was, uh, was with a neck brace on. So actually, I was just going to bring this up. So I transferred in 2019. Yeah. So... I just remember, oh, okay. so I didn't see you in person with the brace on, but I remember it was either you wrote like a column or yeah. story about it. And I just remember seeing on, it might've been the front page, might've been the sports section, the picture of you like in the hospital <laughs> bed with the brace on yeah. smiling, just big cheesing. Yeah. And I remember was... being like, I don't even know this kid. Like I was like, <laughs> yeah. what is going on? It was one of those things where like, I finally got feeling back in my arms in Rutland um, after the third dose of morphine and I was feeling good. I was. I was feeling good, Jay. Um, and my athletic trainer was there next to me. He saw me smiling and he goes, you know, do you want to check your phone? He's like, your phone's blowing up because he he had my phone with him. He brought it with him. Um, and my dad was my dad was just like there and he was still like processing everything. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at my phone. I saw my phone and just it was blowing up with like notification. People like, what the heck happened to you? Like, you know, please tell me you're alive. And like, just like people I haven't heard from too. And like forever, like, I don't know how they were hearing that I got hurt, but I go, Ed, I, I want to do something. And he goes, okay. He's like, I want to, I want to take a selfie. I want people to know I'm okay. He goes, okay. So I'm trying as hard as I can to hold the phone over my head. I, I can barely hold it. Like I can't hold anything. Mm. So he's got the back of it. I'm holding it up. So I'm looking like I'm taking a Karen selfie, like a Facebook mom. And <laughs> we take the selfie and I'm just like smiling from ear to ear with a neck brace on completely shirtless and posted it on Snapchat. And immediately just like so many people were going, what happened to you? And just freaking out. And, uh, you know, I let them know, you know, when I was able to have my phone actually hold it, like, I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Just some scary stuff. But the one thing I kept saying is I'm going to bounce back from this. Like, this isn't going to define me. This isn't going to be how you're going to remember me as the guy that almost broke his neck. Um, I ended up finding out that I, I bruised my spinal cord at C7T1. And they thought that it was, it caused nerve damage going into my right shoulder, going down my right arm, all the way into my hand. So was that... Uh, you had said that, you know, they had told you at least a two week layoff. Yeah. Was that right after two weeks or that was, that was right at the two week point where they figured out what was going on. Okay. Uh, they were able to take a look at another MRI that I, MRI and x-ray and the MRI came back showing that I didn't uh, tear anything luckily, but, uh, there was a lot of swelling and, uh, bruising at my spinal cord. Um, and they said that there was nothing structurally wrong. So 
they cleared me to come back to play football. And like in the state of mind I was in, that was the one thing I wanted to hear was, oh my goodness, I, I can, I get me back on the field. Right. Cause I thought I was going to start. I thought I was going to be all conference. I thought we were going to win the conference championship. I, I thought that was my year. I thought that was my year to shine. And I'm like, I'm back on track. I, I can do this. And I get back and, you know, I'm still in pain, but like, I'm just putting a smile on my face. I don't want people to know. And I had to go through the process of, it was almost like the concussion protocol where you have to wear a helmet at first and just shorts. And then you can go into, you know, wearing your lowers. You can go into wearing your shoulder pads and your helmet. You can go into wearing full pads. Finally, and we're getting towards the end of the protocol and I'm still dealing with the pain. And I'm, wow, this is getting really bad. Like it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm doing rehab and I'm doing treatment every single day on top of going to class, on top of uh, doing everything else, working for the paper as well. I wrote the story about how traumatizing it was and how bad I wanted to come back and play football. And then there was one practice in particular when I was back to playing where I took a shot to the head and I got home and I was laying down in bed right before bed and my whole entire right side just like clamped up. That's the best way to put it. it. It felt like it froze over. Like I couldn't move it. I couldn't lift my arm. It's like not like, it's like it wasn't like the same numbness type no. feeling. It was kind of just no. like it was like stuck in it place stuck. sort of thing. Yeah, that's what it felt like. And it, it, I felt it go from my, from the back of my neck into my arm. And I felt like the sharp pain one more time in my back. I was like, oh no. I'm like, this is it. I'm like, I, I might need to go to the hospital again. So I was able to somehow roll over onto my left side, push myself up with all of my, the left side of my body, get over to my bathroom, like take, take some ibuprofen. Cause that's the only thing I had. I was never given any meds when I, when I left the hospital, I was never given it like a, like a steroid or anything like that to help with the pain. I was never given any of that. Um, and I was taking ibuprofen and I was up till like three o'clock in the morning and I called my mom. I'm like, mom, I, I don't know if I can do this. I, I don't, I can't live with this pain. So I ended up having the conversation with my coach and my athletic trainer that I need to sit out the rest of the season. I can't do this. Um, I was granted the opportunity, uh, the last game of my junior year, uh, because it, it really bothered me that I didn't get to play with those seniors, uh, the class of 2019, uh, seniors. I didn't get to play with them because um, they meant a lot to me in, in my process of, of coming back to, um, you know, when, when I was starting, those were the guys I played with and for them on their senior year. And they were looking forward to play with me and it really sucked. But um, their senior game, it was our last game of the year. Uh, I made a deal with my coach like, hey, like if we're in a position where we're going to win the game and it's like completely like. You know, there's no doubt we're going to win the game. We're going to knee the ball or whatever. Can you put me in so I can snap the ball? I want at least one snap this year. I'm like, I want people to know that like, you know, I'm okay. Like I'm, I came back. I was able to do this. And he thought about it. He goes, I don't want you to get hit. I said, won't get hit if it's the last, if it's a kneel down, like no one's going to touch me. And I talked to the guys who were playing next to me, the two guards. I'm like, listen, I want to do this. Um, you know, just step in front of me in case someone comes after me. And they're like, yeah, okay. Um, whatever we got to do. Yeah. Whatever we got to do. You got, you have to have this moment. So 
like not a lot of people knew about it, but um, we were winning the game and I was watching the clock and we were up by two touchdowns. And I was like, there's a shot this happens. And my mom was in the hospital. Uh, she had some health issues going on. So they, they were supposed to come because uh, they were coming to the games anyway to support me. And they knew how much it meant to me for them to be at the games and still support the team, even though I wasn't playing. Right. Yeah. But my mom was uh, was in the hospital with some health issues and my dad was with her taking care of her. And I told him the day of I'm like, listen, if this happens, like I'm going to go into the game. Don't tell mom. Just watch the game with her. And he's like, OK. So we pulled it up on his phone and I was watching the clock go down and went from four minutes to three minutes to two minutes to one minute left. And the clock was running and we got the ball back with a minute left in the game. And I was standing next to my coach and he looks at me and he goes, well, what are you waiting for? Get in. He's like, you earned it. And I said, okay. So I run out there and he, he asked me, he goes, who do you want on the field with you? And I, I asked for Mo Harris to be on the field. Um, and Mo was the running back who's the leading rusher in school history for Castleton. I thought Mo deserved that moment to be on the field too. Uh, but, you know, being able to block for him and, you know, for one of his biggest seasons that he had, that was uh that was a cool honor my sophomore year. And to be able to do that with him and to snap the ball one more time to Mitch Karen, who's a really good friend of mine, um, who was a, a great quarterback for us and a great leader and a great person um, and understood how hard I worked to get to where I was to be able to have that moment with them and have a hug and like, uh, I won't lie, shed a tear on the field with those seniors. It meant a lot. Um, so then fast forward to, after that season, um, you know, it, fo football at Castleton, it's, it's year round. It's not, it's not just like you stop, you get like two or three weeks to recover before you're training again. And I was in pain, but you know, I kept doing the rehab. I kept doing the treatment and I told my, I made a promise to myself, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be in a place where I can play my senior year. And I need, I need to prove to people or not just the people, but I need to prove to myself, I can bounce back from this. Cause I kept having discussions with myself. Do I, do I stop? Do I just focus on school? Do I transfer elsewhere? Um, do I try to become a captain? Will people actually vote for me because I didn't play? Um, so I, I had those conversations with myself and I was like, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. So I ran for captain. I didn't get captain and I was okay. I was okay with it. Um, but I worked the hardest that I ever did. And I put myself through so much pain and agony and, uh, mental and physical frustration, but I got myself to the fastest and the strongest that I've ever been in my life. So throughout all of this though, like you, you didn't go back to the, uh, to, to the hospital again at all after that night where you said you felt the pain again. Yeah. I, I ended up getting treated for some physical therapy back home. They require that after football was over with. So I did that and we learned of some things that I could do to try and manage the pain basically. Um, and get myself to a point where I was comfortable dealing with it, but it was, uh, still kind of there in the back of my head. Like, okay, you still have this pain. Like you still need to limit yourself. You can only do so much, but you know, I, I, I guess it goes back to what my dad instilled in me as a kid, just like developing hard work ethic and never taking no for an answer. Um, you know, knowing what you want and what your potential is and wanting to prove people wrong, including myself, because I had those doubts myself. And I was like, you know, you're stupid for thinking that, um, that you could come back from this. So I was able to, you know, bench press 275. I never thought I was going to do that with, 
you know, a bad neck, let alone before then, um, you know, I was able to squat over 405 pounds multiple times, um, on an almost broken neck, you know, never thought I'd do that. Um, I was able to run the fastest I've ever have before. I was able to get in good, good conditioning shape and get ready for the football season. I was excited again. I was excited about playing again. And, um, you know, things happened the way they did. Uh, I'm still a firm believer that the, the team went into a direction that was, uh, towards youth. Uh, we had some seniors that definitely could have played, but did not. Um, and I was kind of transitioned into a mentor role and that was something I had a hard time, a hard pill swallowing, I'd say. Um, especially after trying to come back with all the adversity and all the pain, I mean, mentor role is important on any club, on any, you know, team, but especially, you know, it's your senior year. You're trying to get back to playing. I can only imagine what's going through your head being like, I'm not gonna be on the field. I'm trying to get other people ready to be in the position that I want to be in. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's still having those, those, those thoughts and those doubts of man, like I'm good enough to do this. Like Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I could be doing this. I could be out on there, out there on that field. And like things happened, uh, you know, I, I had some heated arguments with some of my coaches about this and I understood what they were doing, but at the same time, there was a little bit of selfishness coming into play. Like, you know, I, I want to be out there. I want to enjoy this while I have it. I don't, I'm not, I only have nine weeks left of my football career. I want to enjoy this. Um, you know, I was able to get a little bit of play time. Um, my, you know, my senior game, I, I got to be on the field for uh, the final snap. I got to be out there for the first play of the game where, you know, we had an eight yard gain and I was like, Oh wow, keep me out there. But you know, um, you know, I, I still made memories and it, like, even though how disappointing my junior and senior year were the whole entire experience of being on the football team, it, it was, it was so meaningful to me. It, you know, I can't replace those memories of traveling of, you know, going to school two weeks before everyone else and eating at six o'clock in the morning before going to practice and like doing two a day practices doing um, the the strength and conditioning at six and seven o'clock in the morning, right before classes, um, the late, the nine to 11 PM practices on the football field, and then waking up to do it, you know, all over again with class and then pay, uh, do stuff for the paper, do stuff for football and meetings. And then we go out and practice and do it all over again. You know, there's things like that, that I just, I can't replace. And I look at some of those guys that are on the football team and, you know, when I think something that really stood out to me when I first started on the football team was um, someone told me, look around the room in here. You're going to see a lot of these people at your wedding. And I was like, Hmm, you know, didn't take it seriously. Right. Now that I graduated, there's a lot of people from my foot, from the four football teams that I played on at Castleton that are going to be in my wedding. There's a lot of, there's, more than half of them, I could already say, I could see them being groomsmen in my wedding. Like those are people that I want to stand by my side one more time, you know, as I make that final commitment when that day comes. Um, it was so, I cherish that time. And I always look back and I'm like, I feel like that old geezer looking back at the glory days, you know, but, um, you know, I'm so happy I got to do that, you know, go to Vermont to play football. Not a lot of people can say that.
It's a it's a it's a weird statement to say because you don't right. think of Vermont as like a football place. Either. Yeah, it was such a it was such a culture like a, a mixing pot, like a culture pot, a, a cultural blend, I guess, yeah. um, of people from you know inner city, uh, and then also in rural Vermont and nearby nearby states as well, and coming in and just everyone working together for the same common goal of, and creating lifelong friendships and memories. That's something that, you know, we instill in ourselves, uh, developing such a cohesive unit and really basing that around family. Like before we touch that rock that says Molon Labe on it, um, you know, means, you know, come and get us like, you know, be prepared for a fight. And it's like, wow, like those are things that I take into real life now. Like, you know, be prepared for the worst, be prepared for, uh, whatever life's going to throw at you, be prepared for that crazy story where you're going to go onto a shooting range in, in the middle of Vermont with, with someone, uh, that is, uh, that has been a threat to others, you know, be prepared for the worst and, you know, be ready for any situation that presents itself. Being on the football team prepared me for that. Now to step into the, you know, step back into the present day. Yeah. I know when I was working at Knife Media with you, I know there were a few times you'd have to go back down, you know, back home uh, to the Avril Park area mm -hmm. um, for physical therapy. Yeah. And I know that you're still doing that stuff to this day for, you know, the injury that you suffered. Um, you know, what kind of update do you have, you know, kind of take me through? Yeah. So... I really did. I had to go on and off with physical therapy with school and going back and forth between Castleton and home. And uh, I, ne I could never do physical therapy up at school, but I could do rehab and treatment with my athletic trainer. And I was so grateful for that because a lot of those things that I was doing there, I was doing back home for physical therapy. But as of right now, uh, you know, I've had more time to analyze the situation and go, wow, I still have lingering issues. I still have numbness and tingling going to my arm and in the back of my neck and uh, some sharp pain. And uh, so I, I decided pretty recently to go get that addressed because I want to live my life comfortably. Um, when I first got hurt, I was told by the doctor that there could be a period of time in my life where I'm not able to hold a coffee cup or I'm not able to hold my children. And that was something that, whoa, like, <laughs> I can't have that. Um, so now you want to, now you want to do everything in your power to get in the best shape possible. Like I'm not, I'm not working out every day. Like I used to for football. I'm not running every day. I'm not playing, I'm not playing the game that I love that kept me in relatively good shape. Um, I'm working every day. So it's like, I'm trying to find ways to, uh, stay in good shape and keep taking care of my body. Um, I ended up following up with a doctor that I initially saw, uh, Dr. Cheney, and he referred me to uh, another doctor at Albany Med who ended up doing seven dry needle anesthesia injections in the back of my neck across my shoulders. And um, let me tell you, that was not ideal. Uh, I, that I was can a, only imagine the pain. <laughs> that, was a, that was a painful uh, situation. I've got another set of those coming up next month. Um but I was also referred to a, they call it massage therapy, but this wasn't massage therapy. Uh, <laughs> it's called active release technique, ART. And it's uh, a specific kind of massage therapy where you trigger point the nerves in your neck and your shoulder. Uh, and you look for the muscle groups that the nerve goes through and you, tr you find, you locate the nerve, you press on it as hard as you can to trigger it and then you do a movement on top of it to release the nerve and to move it and to have it be used to the, the tension and then to release it 
that was painful as well. But it was the I had that session about two or three weeks ago, and I I left, and it was the first time in three years I was able to move my head in a full circle with no pain, wow. and I was like, whoa, this works, and I still feel that way. Like the the lady I saw said, you know, this is permanent. This is going to work, and you know, I've heard, I've had people tell me, oh, this is going to work, and it hasn't. But this is the first time that someone said, yeah, this this lasts. And this is stuff that like NFL players are getting uh, with uh, with their trainers and they're, you know, specialized in this technique. And it's really cool to be in like the same group of that is that like, you know, Ryan Chazier, the NFL player who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. He had the same injury as me. His was obviously more severe. Uh, I was only a transient quadruparesis. He was, you know paralyzed for much longer um than i was i was only paralyzed for about six or seven hours he was he was paralyzed for a couple months but you know it it was funny to be able to correlate those two and go look at similarities we got injured at the same spot uh we had almost the same kind of movement with our head when we collided and we were having the same kind of symptoms for for the most part and uh it was, it was kind of cool to relate that to an NFL player, but now, you know, I'm just happy to, I'm happy to be able to move my body and, you know, not feel as much pain as I used to be and really take that experience as a, as a, as a learning lesson, because I'm on my back and I can't move and I'm looking up and like, I don't want to have someone care for me for the rest of my life. I don't want to be looked at as someone that depends on others. I don't want other people to view me as incapable of doing any kind of job because of something that I've been through. So I made it a point then and there that I will bounce back from this. I won't let this, uh, you know, completely define who I am as a person. Sure. It's defined me, you know, it, it was a, it was a focal point of my life because it was the scariest, scariest part of my life, but it's also a transition point. It made me appreciate the things that I do have. Being in that bed and not being able to move or grab my phone or, you know, go to the bathroom or get dressed. You know, I I had to rely on my parents for a week to help me get dressed. You know how embarrassing that was for them to, you know, make me my food, to help me with every little thing. It was one of those things where you really appreciate what you have and it makes you understand what's a necessity and what are wants. You know, what are things that you really don't need? And I think it it was a big maturity process for me as well. That was the roughest point of my life, not knowing if I was going to be be able to get back to normal life or not. Um, and to be able to rely on them and understand that you can lean on others for support, physically, mentally, spiritually, um, emotionally, to know that you can rely on someone else when you're... Uh, in not in a hundred percent state of mind that really helped. I mean, my mental health was really bad at that point. There were time, there were multiple times I was crying myself to sleep one because of pain two because of, am I ever going to be back to normal? Am I ever going to get back to where I was or can I be better than that? So then you use it as motivation to better yourself. But Austin, uh, you know, to kind of try and go 
back on the lighter side of things. Obviously, that ends on a positive note, but we're going to get into, and I know you know what this is. I know you listened to uh, the first episode with yes. Max Temple. You know we are going into gut reaction. Um, and for those of you who don't know what the segment is, I come up with five, you know, um, this or this type questions, and you can only have one. It's it's like a would-you-rather knockoff sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're just going to get right into it. For those of you who don't know, and we didn't get into it um, up to this point, but Austin and myself, both huge professional wrestling fans. Um, could you, uh, you know, kind of take me through that real quick? Uh, oh, Lord. Um, yeah, no, I I mean, ever since I could really recall, my brother and I have been the biggest wrestling fans that I've known. And then I met you and I was like, oh, boy, maybe I've got a challenger here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, it's funny because like I I really look back in time and watching so much professional wrestling whether it was wwe or uh, old old wcw and ecw and now getting into like new japan and um uh, other promotions and now with all elite wrestling which i'm a big fan of uh you know looking at a, something that a lot of people don't uh take a great appreciation to is, is the storytelling, whether it's the commentary or the actual storytelling in the movement and uh, the emotion between the performers. That, that's something that I like to take and I like to put in my writing, believe it or not, um, in, my, in my storytelling. And, uh, you know, you feed off the things that you see as a kid and that defines who you are. And, you know, it, it develops traits and techniques going for, forward. Um, you know, Jim Ross was the voice of my childhood. Um, good old JR. Good old JR. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, I, I never thought I was going to use slobber knocker in a, in a, you know, news article, but I'm trying to find ways to take some of the things that he said and put it into my work. You know, it, it it's so much fun to be able to take something that some people think of as absurd, but it's a passion for you and I, you know, it, it's something that, you know, that's a happy spot for us. You know, you have a bad day, you go home, you put on, uh, you put on Peacock and you, you watch some old school, you watch some old wrestling from a time that, um, you know, that made you happy, you know, th those formative years in your life. Yeah, I completely agree with <laughs> you. And I mean... A more recent one, I watched uh, the WrestleMania main event, Triple Threat, Edge, Brian, Reigns. Yes. For like, I watched that like three or four times after. Like, right. I, I thought I thought that was a great match. I thought that the storytelling was fantastic. Oh yeah. Um, but to get into this, we're gonna start off at WrestleMania 29. Oh boy. So either CM Punk breaks the Undertaker's undefeated streak at that WrestleMania. Okay. So that happens, or Brock Lesnar breaks the streak the following year at wrestlemania 30 so i'm deciding who breaks the streak pretty much yeah out of out of those two okay with hindsight being 2020 i think i'm gonna stick with brock breaking the streak all right yeah, because Punk was in such a bad mental state because he wanted to be the headline of wrestlemania um you know, he wanted to defend the title at WrestleMania again and be a main event, but he had that ripped away with the with the Cena and Rock two uh, at WrestleMania twenty nine. So, you know, he even stated like he didn't view it as a demotion going against the Undertaker. Uh, in my mind, the greatest uh, the I don't want to say the greatest gimmick, but the greatest performer in my mind uh, for of all time in, in professional wrestling. Uh, 
he didn't view that as a demotion going against him, but it wasn't main eventing. It, it, you know, when you look at the effect of what happened with Brock Lesnar going forward from WrestleMania 30, when, you know, he did the unthinkable and everyone lost their mind, it added this mystique to him and it was okay for him to appear periodically. You know, it, before then it was like, oh, great. It's like, you know, he's going to appear every six months or every three or four months, uh, you know, three or four times a year. And he's just going to, he, he's just going to, he's just going to come on, have a squash match or have a, have a grueling rivalry that doesn't, it's, it doesn't feel like a rivalry because he's not on TV every week, but he was getting away with coming on, being impactful for six months or, or at six months at a time, I should say he was, he was, he would come one night, boom. And just that match with John Cena, if he didn't have that match with Undertaker and win, I don't think that would have happened. I don't think the 16 suplexes and then winning the, the, the unified world title. I didn't think that was going to ever happen. Mm -hmm. uh, if he didn't beat Taker, I don't think that, you know, he would have held the title for as long as he did going forward after that. I mean, he held, he held the WWE title um, or was it the universal universal title, excuse me, uh, for almost two years, I think so, something like a that. year and a half. Yeah. Um, but I, I think punk was in such a bad mental state that he wanted to leave as it was. Um, and he was getting pretty frustrated and deal with dealing with everything that was going on that I don't think, that if he broke the streak, it was it was going to make him stay. I think he was still going to leave. I think long term wise, Brock, it helped Brock more than what people will say. Yeah, I mean, I that's an interesting approach. I never really thought about it like that. Right. Um, my response is still going to be punk only because I live in a world of fantasy booking. <laughs> And it, it really doesn't matter what he did because in this universe, he beats The Undertaker's undefeated streak and then the next year, main events WrestleMania and wins the title in the main event. But that's obviously not what happened. Brock Lesnar broke the streak. CM Punk is uh, still retired. Um, Jay, I'll let you have that moment. I, I would have loved that as well. Listen, man, and that was a great match. That was probably Taker's last like good match at WrestleMania, 29? I would say. Yeah, I would I, I, I would say CM, because like the Lesnar match, like it was, you know, it was like a fight kind of thing. Well, I mean, he doesn't even remember it for the most part. I mean, right. he, like he said, he was concussed within the first five minutes of the fight. Right. Um, and, you know, he kind of seemed clueless. And he, you know, he watched it back over and he was like, wow, I just, I wasn't myself. And then going forward, it was, Okay, I need to, I need to do something. It was always that drive to be the Undertaker of old, yeah. and it was and it took an extra six six years. You know, we can obviously talk about Taker <laughs> for a whole podcast episode, but now we're going to go into uh, the realm of a uh, you know other sports here. So I know you and I are both Mets fans, huge Mets fans, of course. Um, so you either get a Mets World Series win this year. Or the Washington football team wins the Super Bowl this year? I think I'm going to go with the Mets. And I know that's a quick answer, but I feel like it's going to mean more this year if the Mets win it, um, especially with the way that the best pitcher in baseball, Jacob deGrom, yes, I'll say it one more time. The best pitcher in baseball, Jacob deGrom, is playing this year. Um, it is the definition of dominance. 
And I mean, he's the goat. I'll say it. He is, I mean, I, he is I, I the goat. With the last three years, the way things have gone for him, where he, you know, he should have won the Cy Young last year. Uh, I, you know, all shade in the world to Trevor Bauer. I, I don't care. Um, Jacob deGrom should have won it last year. The last three years, the fact that he was able to win two Cy Youngs and still not have the best win-loss record as a pitcher, but still have that impact in a game where batters are fearing him is unreal. I, I think if if the Mets were to win the World Series – that would be the ultimate like cherry on top for Jacob deGrom for enduring that uh, for so long. I mean, I know they had the experience in 2015 uh, when we last went to the World Series and lost to the to the Royals. Um, and he had that experience to to be in the World Series then. But now he's more mature and he's clearly better than he's ever been. And I, I think we're watch we are watching a moment in time right now that I wish more people would appreciate. This is this is something you don't get to watch. This is this is Michael Jordan playing, uh, you know, playing in 1998 uh for you know the last his last good prime year. This is um this is Muhammad Ali boxing in his prime. This is Jacob deGrom being the best I don't know if I want to say best player, but the best pitcher in baseball by far. I completely agree. He's already got my MVP vote for the year and Cy Young, obviously. Like, I love my Washington football team, but let's be honest, it, it wouldn't happen this year. It, you know, we, we'd have to have a bubble here, I think. You don't believe in uh, the Fitz magic, Austin? I believe in Fitz magic, but there's only so much magic you can pull from a hat, Jack. <laughs> I, I love our defense. Our defense is awesome but i think we're still a couple pieces away on offense i gotta ask you you know what what percentage chance do you give my giants of winning the super bowl this year of winning the super bowl danny dimes back come on saquon coming off the injury he'll be he'll be back to prime form in no time i mean i could see saquon saquon as a dark horse for mvp i'll give you that yeah i i think that's very possible i mean you don't you don't see it often with uh running backs. I think the last MVP was McCaffrey at running back. Maybe. Maybe. Um I honestly have no clue, but, but that sounds yeah, like it's it. a quarter it's a quarterback league now and it's make or break. I know you were talking about it with Max um about Dan- Danny Dimes and I absolutely agree with the both of you that, you know, this is a prove it year. But in terms of the Giants Let's uh, let's talk about them making the playoffs before we get to winning the Super Bowl. Dude, I think the NFC East is going to be way more entertaining than people so. are than so. anyone's given it. We we've kind of had a negative light uh, for the last couple of years. I hope we can get back to a little bit more competitive ball. As much as I hate the Cowboys, I hope that Dak Prescott comes back and plays oh, yeah. well. I will say that. Um, you know, shifting gears back into the professional wrestling realm. You said you're a huge fan of all elite wrestling. Yes. So. Kenny Omega debuts in WWE on SmackDown and confronts the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. Or Roman Reigns debuts on AEW Dynamite and confronts Kenny Omega. The belt collector as he is currently. Yeah. I... Ooh, that's a good one, Jay. Pretty much where do you think the booking would be better? I think... I think the booking would be better if you have Kenny go to SmackDown. You think as, so? As the belt collector. 
Okay. As, as the belt, cl- I mean, he's gone to Impact. He's gone to AAA. He's gone to, uh, you know, uh, New J- New Japan. Was he there? I mean, he was there before, yeah, and obviously, oh, but yeah. uh, uh, I know he's still the AAA uh, champion. Yeah. And it, now he just won Impact's world title. Um, I. <sighs> I think it would be interesting to see him and Don Callis come to come to SmackDown. Right. You bring the Good Brothers back. Uh, you have the Good Brothers and um, and Kenny versus Roman and the Usos. So what me and my brothers have said is you get the Young Bucks and Kenny against oh, the Usos well. and Roman Reigns. Obviously, you know, the Good Brothers have the link to the WWE, but I think that that match with the Young Bucks and the Usos in there right. would be incredible. Absolutely. But at the same time, I could see Roman and Paul doing the same and coming to AEW. I think both would be very interesting possibilities. But the more likely of the two, I could see Kenny coming saying, I've done it all but this. Yeah. I I mean, I would. <laughs> it'll never happen. Right. Yeah. WWE is <laughs> never going to allow this to happen. Vince McMahon will Especially never allow. Especially with the recent trash talk. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this just goes to show how much I just like I'm stuck in that mindset because in my head I wrote this I wrote this down and I was like Omega is not in all elite wrestling anymore and debuts in WWE but what you said is like what would make the most sense is his you know current gimmick and I love that a lot so I actually I think I'm going to use that one as well uh Omega the belt collector with Don Callis uh going to Smackdown confirmed I think uh maybe not but going on to the <laughs> going on to the next topic Matt Harvey the Dark Knight Ooh. never gets hurt and can, and he continues to improve and goes down as one of the best pitchers to ever wear the Mets uniform, okay. to ever wear the orange and blue. Or Steve Cohen buys the team this past offseason 2020. So pretty much either Matt Harvey is still great and the Wilpons still own the team. Ooh. And you know how you, you know, don't yeah. how that leaves a bitter taste in your mouth or Steve Cohen buys the team now and you kind of you know gamble on having a bright future you know obviously already extending francisco lindor i'm going to stick with steve cohen on the condition that he re-signs michael conforto at the end of the season you're a huge conforto i am a huge conforto guy um i i think that he had a rough start to the year this year and then it didn't help uh as soon as he was starting to get hot again he got injured um but luckily uh we got the news that he's uh he's in triple a right now and he's uh he's on the road back and they're expecting him next week to be back with the mets so uh i'm i'm excited for that and uh yeah i i mean i loved watching matt harvey but it kind of also felt like one of those flash in the pan kind of things um like that was his year um R.A. Dickey had that with the Mets. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, with the knuckleball. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, my God, he's, you know, it's R.A. Dickey. Like, he he's so unique of a pitcher. Like, you need to sign him. And then where did he go? The Blue Jays. And, like, his yeah, career yeah. just completely fell off. Um, and now look at Matt Harvey now with the Orioles. He's got, like, a five-point something era and i mean he, he's struggling he bounced around he went to the angels too before yes. that and yes. I, I don't even think i was listening to the shay anything podcast a couple of weeks ago um and omar was on omar Manaya, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how last year they held like a workout for matt harvey to see if they wanted to bring him back as like a reliever because like the bullpen was like not oh. great last year oh. at all um they obviously ended up not doing that but that would have been really 
interesting to see yeah. what kind of role he would have played on that team. I, I think I think that's one of the biggest things of having Steve Cohen on the team is the focus on the relief pitching this year. I mean, look how well our bullpen's been. Not not only the re- relief pitching, but you know, bringing in great you know bench guys, Kevin Pillar, Jonathan VR. My new favorite met Billy McKinney. I mean, I mean, I mean, this guy. I I think I think we should extend him. Uh, he's he's earned it. Uh, but, GMJ, you know, I like it. It's got a ring to it. Give him a fourteen-year deal for four hundred million right now. Uh, clearly kidding. But go on to the next topic here. You told me, you know, when we were doing our pre-interview discussion that you. Uh, you're a huge uh, fan of uh, Criminal Minds, and you're yes. also a huge fan of uh, crime documentaries, like I those am. type of things. So you're stranded on a deserted island. You have nothing but a smart TV, <laughs> some sort of electrical power so you can use it, and either your favorite season of Criminal Minds on DVD, or you have it on Netflix or whatever because you have a smart TV, or your favorite crime documentary. Like It could be like a mini docu-series. It could be anything, but you can only have... Your favorite one of those and your favorite season of Criminal Minds. So first of all, give me what your favorite season was if you have one off, you know, that top my head. That's tough. I mean, I like all the seasons. I I can't really pick just one. I mean, they're all so different, too, because you have so many. I mean, it's not like there's a trend uh, to to the seasons. It's not like they follow a trend of like specific cases. Um <sighs> I, I can't pick a specific season. You know uh, what? No worries but, about it. Man, in terms of my favorite crime doc, mm, that's tough. I know you and I were I really talking. Liked the, I really liked um, the Fear City on uh, Netflix about about uh, the mafia in the in the nineteen seventies. I love that. I love learning about that and the five main families that mm-hmm. were, that were involved in the city. My brother and I binged the heck out of that. Um, and uh, it was one of those things where you finish the episode and immediately you look at each other, back to the TV, click, and you're watching it. And it was like it was so informative. And like you had people who were like, you know, the runners for for the mob bosses, and they had uh, you know, some people anonymous talking like about what their roles were, and like you know, they would never say if they killed anyone, but they would go, yeah, this happened. And it's like, oh my! And like you had people who were involved with the police. They had uh, they had uh. Rudy Giuliani on, on yeah. the on the on the dock and I was like oh my god it's Rudy Giuliani and he was talking about his role and like busting these people and uh you know you had some some of the people that worked in the police that were bugging the cars so they could record the conversations between the mob bosses and everything um that was really cool uh like I told you the other day I just watched with Abby we watched uh, uh the extremely wicked uh incredibly vile and evil uh movie with zach efron it was my first time watching it ted bundy uh, yeah it's about ted bundy and you know his life in between the crimes and uh him escaping prison multiple times and what's uh, really interesting about the movie and i i think we spoke about this you watched uh the docuseries as well did you yes yes so so me and uh you know my girlfriend mel watched that and then the movie came out and it was just so interesting seeing like the movie was from like the girlfriend's perspective. Right. You know what I mean? So it was like, it was a really good way to do it. And I think that it, that it provided was, a fresh balance. And absolutely. that's something that I liked it, the storytelling, like, you know, they got the facts right, but the storytelling was different and unique to where like it didn't drive you away or make you like look at your phone at any point in, in the movie or the documentary. I completely um, agree with you. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, 
I'm a big freak into the into those things. I, I, it's just like so interesting to me. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of those things. Like I would never do that, but that's weird that he thought like that. Like you, you love to get into the psyche of other people and like, hmm, why did they? Why did they do this? Like, yeah, what yeah. affected them so personally? Like, uh, especially with like the Aaron Hernandez documentary that Netflix did, um, and talking about his childhood trauma and how that shaped him uh, into, you know, doing what he did, and uh, you know. His, his his demons catching up to him on top of the football concussions um and it, that was crazy for me and like it, it was kind of personal with the football concussions and like uh like relating that to people that i know that have had concussions and to myself who's had you know a couple concussions before i'm like oh my god i hope i you know cte that's not something to mess around with it was definitely a scary prospect yeah you know cte um I don't think you answered the question. Which one? Uh, oh, uh, the favorite season, Criminal Minds. I know we got off on you know the tangent. But yeah, favorite season, I love Criminal, Criminal Minds. Minds. Um, I think I would go with a season of Criminal Minds. I'll probably pick like season four or season five, right in the middle, um, because that's when I started to really get into it. Yeah, I just I just love Criminal Minds because it, it was something new every time, and I love the characters, and I love like um, early on into it. It wasn't about like the development of the character it was more about the actual crime and like understanding why someone did something and like what their motive was and i was interested in that and like how they how they ended up getting to the process of okay they thought like this to do this specific action and they you know they went through this process and did it this way um i like that i mean you know as as you get more and more into the show you learn into um how the characters were shaped into why they, you know, took the roles in the BAU um, and, you know, why they're there with the FBI and, uh, and doing that. But, um, but yeah, I, I think I, I think I'd go with the criminal minds just because it, it wouldn't be repetitive. I, yeah, that, that makes sense. All right. So, so ideal world that I've created for you with these five questions, Brock Lesnar defeats the streak. Mets win a world series this year. Omega debuts as the belt collector in WWE, confronts the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. Steve Cohen still becomes the owner. And Criminal Minds on DVD. Sounds like a perfect, perfect realm for me to live in, Jay. <laughs> that sounds, sounds fantastic. Well, Austin, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to stop by your abode here in Cambridge to have you on the pod. Before we let you go, though, I need you to plug your plugs. What do you got? You got anything, anything you know, coming up? Any social medias, you know? Yeah. If you, if you, if you want to let people know where they can read your articles, this is this is where you do it. Yeah, man. Uh, it was a pleasure to have, to have you come by and do this. Uh, I'm honored and uh, I'm, I'm grateful for our friendship and our connection together. And I'm glad that Castleton brought us together and you know, we were able to work together, uh, you know, even though it, it, it was shorter than I, what I would have liked it, you know, we, we had a lot of fun together and we got to pair up and do some stories together. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm still working, uh, for, for the Sentinel. You can follow our Facebook page, uh, the Granville Sentinel, uh, Granville, New York on Facebook. Uh, I am on Facebook, uh, Austin Crozier, A-U-S-T-I-N-C-R-O-S-I-E-R. Um, I'm on Facebook. I am on Twitter. I am on Instagram. All of those are the same. You could also Venmo me if you uh, if you feel, uh, you know, 
pushed and motivated to do so, I will never say no to a Venmo. Um, just kidding on that. Um, hey, listen, man, rent <laughs> rent's pretty high. Okay, <laughs> you, you got to make those rent payments. Um, you know, I just a uh, just a quick shout out to you, Jay. I love what you're doing here, and uh, I appreciate you. Uh, Wanted to have a chat with me and picking me for the first in-person one. Um, you know, follow this up, suckers. Um, you know, uh, before I let you go, mm-hmm. I must let you know that Max Temple has already agreed to give me the first interview once he accepts his WWE contract, um, which he denies is ever going to happen. But I mean, it it will, and I'm going to get that first interview. I just need to know how you uh, feel about that. Well, Max. No, I'm just kidding. I can't do it. I don't have the uh, the animal emoji popping up. Um, can't believe it, Max. Known you, known you for so long since we were four years old. Averill Park Pee Wee Wrestling. <sighs> and you're going to choose Jay over me. Interesting choice, Max. Interesting choice. Just kidding. I love you, buddy. Don't blame me at all. Jay's a great guy. Hey, I appreciate that. If you missed that episode of the What's Up Jay podcast, you know, episode What's Up Max, you can hear all about that. It'll be right here wherever you're listening to this episode right now. Just go back to the previous one. Hit play. It's another great conversation. Austin, again, it's been a pleasure. And um, I hope we can do something like this again. Thank you, brother. Anytime you want. Anytime you want.